The following show contains two grown men vehemently spouting off unpopular opinions about some of your favorite pop culture movies, shows, characters, and franchises, then demonstratively taking a large penalty shit on them. So if you are an easily offended, pearl-clutching, whiny-ass little bitch who cries when people have a different opinion than yours, or if you piss your pants when people trash your beloved area of pop culture, then we suggest you do one of two things. First, grow the fuck up and go fuck yourself. Secondly, this is not the podcast for your candy ass, and you should turn it off now because shit's about to get personal. You've been warned. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare to have your asses chafed and your feelings hurt. As do middle-aged white men do what do middle-aged white men do best besides raping and pillaging the world, and that's force people to listen to the unsolicited opinions about some trivial bullshit. So welcome to the Cheeky Bastards Podcast. And now, here are your hosts from America, the notorious Scott Gay. And from England, the cynical Mr. Smith. yippee Kaye, motherfuckers, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Cheeky Bastards Podcast. I am the notorious Scott Gay. And reporting from the UK, this is Mr. Smith. And we will be your hosts on this monthly quest to go against the societal pop culture norms in an effort to be a pair of sandpaper underwear to all of you out there that are easily offended and soft as a diaper full of freshly made baby shit. If you are a returning listener, we want to welcome you loyal sons of bitches back. And if you are a first-timer, we want to thank you for giving us a chance. However, you might want to hold on to your asses because shit might get personal. Welcome, Mr. Smith. Happy holidays as we record two days, actually a day before Thanksgiving here in America. You don't have anything like that because you suck. Anywho, we are getting into the Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus season, whatever anyone celebrates. I'm not one of those war against Christmas people. That's a horseshit. But welcome into our holiday episode. How are things in the UK? And what extra holiday plans do you have set up as we get into December? Well, I love Christmas. My favorite time of the year. Mine as well. But basically, one of the main reasons I like it is because I finish work on Christmas Eve. Lucky bad. That's right. And you're off for like forever. Yeah. So I, and I don't go back till like the 8th of February. So it really is a really nice long break for me. Yeah. Just peace and quiet because I work in retail. So, yeah. so I'm dealing with people all year. This is just my little chance to just have a little bit of peace and quiet. But I love the food, the drink, the Christmas music, the trim, you know, the decorations, the lights, the movies. When do you start playing the Christmas music? Because over here, it starts on November 1st, basically. But technically, this coming Friday, which for most of you, this already passed this Friday, but Black Friday over here is when the official day people feel like Christmas music should start. When does it actually officially start for you in England? Well, it's all kind of happening already, so we're not that much different, but... My personal rule is Christmas is December, okay? Yeah. So any time before that, you're going to piss me off. <laughs> but any time, you know, from December the 1st onwards, you, you get a free pass. You can do what you like. How long do you let Christmas music go? Is, like, New Year's Day the, the cutoff? How long do you let it slide? No, Christmas Day is, Christmas Christmas, day is the cutoff. December 26th, you got suckers. Better well, no, maybe, cut that yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, maybe Christmas Day, Boxing Day. But after that, come on. Oh, that's right. You guys have Boxing Day. I you don't forget have Boxing about Day. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget so, that little, oh, hey, here's servants. Uh, here, have your little porridge and your little extra goodies from us here in the house. Thank you. Well, obviously, being British, you know I live in a castle, so yes, we've had, no, we, that, we have all many Americans servants, know this, yes. and you know we we do like to um, shoot them occasionally, but sometimes we'll <laughs> give them a day off, and that's oh, what's nice. Day. That is so. so sweet. Any other day of the year, they're just open to assault. You know. <laughs> 
that's just the rules. <laughs> but but Boxing Day, you know, we'll give you a we'll give you a slice of turkey and a glass <laughs> of uh, mulled wine that got left over from the night before. But uh, yeah, so yeah, I love Christmas. All joking aside, it's my favourite time of year. You know, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm a classic. I'm a classic. Oh song. yeah. Yeah. yeah what, Mariah, so... Mariah Cat. Fuck Mariah. Oh, all right. So we're leading into it. So what is your favourite actual Christmas song? Like, what is your favourite go-to? Like the one song you truly love at Christmas time. And I apologize to any listeners out there who don't celebrate Christmas. I don't know any other songs for other holidays, so I'm not trying to be just like, fuck you guys. But I, we would also be doing disservice pretending that we know other music outside of the Christmas season. So if you don't like the Christmas part, just fast forward to where we just start talking yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get through this quick, but I'm yeah. a big fan. I am a big fan of the whole Phil Spector Christmas album. That's a the, classic. Oh, okay. Yeah, but personally, my favorite Christmas song, could even be yeah, it's last silver. Christmas by Wham. Don't don't lie. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Look, that's my secret favorite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I like Dean Martin's um, Silver Bells. Uh, Louis Armstrong. Is that you, Santa Claus? Yeah. I love all that that era to me. Yeah. It, that's because we grew up on it. That why. was what our parents yeah, listened yeah. to. Yeah, no, exactly. that's our parents yeah, listened so to it on records, on, you know, on vinyl, and that's what we grew very, up with. It's just very comforting and kind yeah. of mm-hmm. cozy no, I, I sound and. And kind of, I think, listener-friendly, where a lot of these things, like, you know, joking about, like, the Mariah Carey song, Wham!, all that stuff kind of beats you over the head a bit. Yeah. Whereas I think there's a subtlety and they're just kind of classiness to the Sinatra. Even a bit of Bing Crosby, Nat King Cole, all that stuff, man. That's for me. That's my stuff. What about you? (laughs) For me, it's a toss-up. I have two. I love, as you said, Dean Martin's version of Baby It's Cold Outside. And Ooh, I class. also love Wings slash Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time. It's just yeah, something no, about you it. Can't. It's just something about it. Every time I hear you it, can't. I am joyful. Like every time I hear the sleigh bell start in that song, I, I'm joyful for it. It's just, I absolutely That's what I mean. There's that certain song. yeah. songs that just, that yeah. just as soon as they kick off, you're just filled with it. You've just got this, you know, and people go, oh, it's just nostalgia. And you're like, there's nothing wrong with nostalgia. No. Hey, nostalgia isn't what it used to be, as no. I always say. <laughs> How about this? If we, we wouldn't have a podcast if we weren't talking sometimes about hey, nostalgia. Exactly. So there you go. But no, but no, you know, both songs you mentioned, great songs, you know. Um, there are some I mean, obviously when we talk about Sinatra, Dean Martin, like we're going back to like the fifties and sixties, obviously. But there's other ones, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff out there that, that just kicks in and you just think, yeah. But I do love the Phil yeah. Spectre Christmas album with, you know, Winter Wonderland and all that stuff on there, Marshmallow World. That's a great album. Yeah. You know, Ronnie, Ronnie's. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a great album. Yeah, that's, that's the one for me. Hey, dipshits. You've got mail. Well, for those of you who are a returning listener, which we've actually got a bit of a following. It's not huge, but hey, it's it's good enough for what we were hoping for. The 30 we, of you we, out there who do, got, I'm happy well, with. So well, for the 30 of you listening, well, and Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford yeah, yeah. great lead-in because last week, or last month, I should say, we said that if you did not enjoy our takes on things, then please email us. Please, please do. And the email again is the Cheeky Bastards Podcast at Gmail. That is T-H-E-C-H-E-E-K-Y. B-A-S-T-E-R-D-S. We are spelling bastards like Inglorious. You should have figured that out by now. And then add podcast, then at gmail.com. So the Cheeky Bastards Podcast at gmail.com. It'll be in the show notes. That being said, we actually got a email response, and I just want to read it. I think it's directed towards my friend. So Mr. Smith, yes. Magnolia fan says... So I watched all four Indiana Jones films today. It's not only the worst film in the series, him talking about the Crystal Skull, 
but also one of the worst films of the year and of the decade. You could film me cracking my knuckles for two hours and it would be more entertaining. To even say what you said is a complete joke and attention-seeking behavior. Magnolia fan. Well, now, please, I want more people to write us. I was disappointed today when I looked and I was like, only one. And I will actually, someone reached out to us about, do you need podcast help? Fuck off. It's like, yeah, no, go I don't fuck yeah. yourself. Yeah, exactly. But we do, but we're not giving <laughs> yeah, in to you. That's exactly. Just... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, really, when I, you know, when I talk about, um, you know, because I spoke about uh, The Lone Ranger. You did. Uh, Kingdom of the Crystals. When I talk about these films, all I'm really trying to do is give them another chance because, as you pointed out when you said you you went to see Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and you came yep. out of the cinema and you were like, meh, and that was it. Yeah. I just think out of the context of their time, when you go back and look at things, sometimes they can surprise you, and it surprised me. Do you know what? Bottom line, if I'm going to be generally transparent here, fuck all the sequels to Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> all right? Bottom line, Fair, yeah? fuck fair. Them. I don't care. Uh, do you know what? I'm never gonna watch. I would never watch one of the right when one of the Indiana Jones sequels on its own. Okay, Raiders so would always have, have to have come to... first. Okay. So I'm not saying I'd watch all four every time, but I would never watch. I would never sit there and go, "Gee, you know what? Tonight I think I'm going to watch Temple of Doom." Well, in fact, I probably would never fucking say that anyway. But that's that's last episode. <laughs> to be honest with you, the bottom line is, I Raise the Lost Ark. I think is an absolute masterpiece. Okay. Agreed. I'm not saying by any stretch that. Uh, Kingless Crystal Scholars, you know, even in the same, in the same fucking discussion. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, I don't think it's as bad as people think it is. And I watched it and I had a much better time of it than I did initially, because even I didn't love it when it came out. But now I've, time has passed, which was scary when I realized how long ago <laughs> it was made. Because I was like, oh, that was what, five years ago? No. Yeah. No. You know, Magnolia fan hiding behind his fucking name there. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I'll let that pass. Um, but no, but he's not, you know, he's if he hates it, he hates it. But the fact that he likes Magnolia is a fucking <laughs> douchebag movie in the first place. You know what I mean? Oh, God. Good stuff. <laughs> so why don't you just say, why don't you just say... <laughs> Avatar fan. Yeah, yeah, right. Because exactly. you get that. No, you get the same amount of respect for me for liking <laughs> either. You've got, you know, one's a piece of shit and one's a pretentious piece of shit. What are you? Are you just a piece of shit or are you or a pretentious piece, piece of shit? shit. <laughs> you're still a, you're still a piece of shit. So anyway, no, are you a wanker you or are like you a ponce? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, exactly. Uh, you maybe you're both, but no, fair <laughs> enough that you don't like. But my point is, good for you that at least you sat down. And you watched them all. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You know, you sat down and you watched them all and you didn't like Kingdom, but you gave it a try. And we would like to see video evidence of your two-hour knuckle crack movie. I would like to see yeah, this Yeah, and tomorrow. also <laughs> you, you wouldn't have done it if I hadn't approached the subject. So, you know, at least you're listening <laughs> to the right people. Cheers. But go back, go back to jerking off to Magnolia, <laughs> you pretentious cunt. <laughs> Oh, and on that note, it's time for our certified gourmet recommendations for December. It's time for the Cheeky Bastards Monthly Movie or Show Recommendations. Jimmy, this some serious gourmet shit. 
Now, we spoke a little bit, it might have been last week, we kind of, or last week, God, it's not a weekly podcast, last month, where we talked about, and you're talking about Indiana Jones, about Star Wars, how you love Star Wars, you hate Star Wars kind of thing. Well, my recommendation this month, as it just has ended as we speak on the day we're recording, is Andor from 2022. It's a show on Disney+. Plus. It's the origin story of Rebel Spy Cassian Andor during the formative years of the Rebellion and the difficult mission he embarks on to help further the cause. This amazing Star Wars series for Disney+, Plus was created by Tony Gilroy, who wrote, in my opinion, the second best Star Wars film next to The Empire Strikes Back with 2016's Rogue One. As well, he's also written all the Bourne films. This is hands down the best Star Wars series Disney Plus has put out. It is the prequel to Rogue One, and when it ends with season two, which should be coming out in a year or two, it will end right where the events of, or at least it's supposed to, where the events of Rogue One start. Gilroy has crafted an amazing slow burn, intense spy thriller that does not waste time on worrying about fan service, but it does take a dark and heartfelt look at the beginning of the rebellion and the players who worked in the shadows to eventually bring down the Empire. Diego Luna is spectacularly reprising his role as Andor and the brilliant supporting cast of Stellan Skarsgård, Denise Goh, Fiona Shaw, Genevieve O'Reilly, Andy Serkis, and Forrest Whitaker make this epic show feel and look like the epic film it precedes. If you only watch one Star Wars series, this is the fucking series you want to watch. All Star Wars shows should take a page out of this series book because it is not only the best Star Wars series around, but it is also one of the best shows on TV. It stays true to the original movie that made it such a success six years ago. It dives into real sacrifices made by the Rebellion who had to topple the Empire while giving us a gritty dark look at just how suppressive the Empire truly was. I cannot recommend this show enough. See Andor, especially if you are a fan of Rogue One and especially if you've always wanted to see, best thing I say is an adult TV show from Star Wars. Like, it doesn't pull kitty punches. We don't get special little aliens that pop up to sell fucking merchandise. Gilroy stuck with what he wrote originally, and he has given a real gritty look at how the star and or becomes part of the Rebellion, and then in season two, how he goes further. So, I know you're not a big fan of some of this stuff, but if you get a chance, I highly recommend Andor. And plus, if you're a person who can handle slow burns and things picking up, and it's got real spy stuff to it, it's really, really fucking good. This is this is certified, certified gourmet. gourmet. I have already heard good things about it, and Rogue One is definitely for me a superior. Yeah, Star I Wars absolutely movie. love that. So, movie. so yeah, I'm very interested, and I'll, I'll give that one a try. Definitely sounds very interesting. And now, Mr. Smith, your certified gourmet recommendation for December 2022. Right, well, ladies and gentlemen, I love how it's starting. I'm a massive horror fan, so I thought. This was going to be an easy one because obviously we've had Smile, yes. we've had Barbarian, yes. we've had one that's going to come up a bit later. <laughs> we've had some decent horror movies. And I, so I thought, oh, I know, I pretty much know what I'm going to choose as my recommendation. I was fucking wrong. I just saw a movie. <laughs> Do you know what? This really surprised me. I just saw a movie made this year, directed by... Peter Farrelly, who did The Green Book, mm -hmm. starring Zac Efron and Bill Murray, called The Greatest Beer Run Ever. Have you heard of this movie? I have. I believe it is on right. Apple Plus, right? It's on Apple. Yeah, yeah. So I had to get a friend to obtain this one for me because I don't, I'm not paying for that shit. So I will, do you know what? This is such a good little movie. It's set during the Vietnam War. I believe it's based on a true story, if I'm not mistaken. It's based on it, yeah. It's based on a true story about a guy called Chicky Donahue. Or jo I think it's named John Chicky Donahue, right? So basically, he's a bit of a dreamer, you know. He's not a complete loser, but Zach Efron is playing the part, and he's and he's actually very good in it, a very watchable. He really does carry the movie well. 
But basically, he's saying, you know, he's very, because, you know, you've got, you've got the Vietnam War protesters and his friends are off fighting in the Vietnam War. So he's like, fuck these protesters. You know, really, these guys all deserve a beer. And I'm going to go over to Vietnam with a rucksack full or, or a big bag full of beer. And I'm going to hand them out to our buddies who are over there fighting the war. Sounds ridiculous, but it actually happened. And he's quite a naive guy because he's like, you know, because so, the film is ultimately an anti-war movie, you know. But he that's his arc as a character. He goes over there all gung-ho. But once he gets over there, he meets Russell Crowe, another fan of the podcast yeah yeah so he meets yeah another fan of the show russell crowe um so he meets russell crowe who's a who's a journalist and he and russell crowe opens his eyes to what's actually going on over in vietnam so he gradually learns that oh that's not quite as clear-cut as he thought and he sees starts to see things from the protesters side and also obviously but he's worried about his friends but what initially is so good about the film is when he says i'm going to go over to vietnam and i'm going to take them all a beer he's joking yeah <laughs> but word spreads to all the mothers of the, his friends that are fighting over there and they come at him with gifts to give to their or because they're worried about their sons over at, you know in vietnam so they actually believe that he's going to do it so that kind of forces him to actually go over there you know it's because when you hear the title the greatest beer on ever all i can think of is like an american pie or a hangover type movie yeah but so not that it's actually quite a moving touching film like i say great music it's funny but not funny not wacky zany comedy it's more of a just a humorous film but it has some dark moments i highly recommend the greatest beer run ever took me by total surprise over all the horror movies i was salivating over going to see <laughs> i actually enjoyed it so much and i've been quite evangelical about it to my friends you know? i'm like you see this movie it's zach efron you know he's not bad a, he's, he's 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 making his way you well, know, he's no, i mean i'm quite ignorant to the guy I, you know i don't really know i don't really know who he is you're a huge disney fan folks don't let him slide to you don't let him lie well, no i saw him in um the baywatch movie which i didn't like that's pretty much my only reference so i wasn't exactly Exactly. Looking forward to it. But now you're, I see you're a it. huge fan of High School Musical. Stop fucking lying to all of us. Okay, the third one was the best one in New York. <laughs> no, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen any of it. But no, but honestly, yeah. So everybody, please give it a chance. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Very well made. Great music. Great cut. Yeah, I could go on, but I won't. It, it really surprised me very much, and that's my recommendation for this month. This is the certified, certified gourmet. gourmet. So there you have it. Our recommendations are the Disney Plus TV series Andor and the movie on Apple TV, The Greatest Beer Run Ever. It now leads us to maybe my favorite part of the show. I don't know why I get so much joy taking a shit on movies, but there is a part of this I really enjoy. It's now time for our certified pure horseshit. Stay the fuck away from recommendations for December. This is some serious horseshit. 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 And this is horseshit. Horseshit. Ah, horseshit. It's horseshit. 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 Yes. Now, to be completely fair, on the flip side of my Star Wars recommendation, 
comes my Star Wars series recommendation that is pure horseshit that you should stay the fuck away from immediately. And that is the book of Boba Fett that debuted at the end of 2021, but pretty much was through the early part of 2022. Or as I also like to call it, hey, here's a show with a Mandalorian in it while you wait for season three of The Mandalorian. I won't deny that as a boy in the 80s, I fucking loved Boba Fett. He was fucking cool. He had a badass suit, weapons, ship, and he was easily the second coolest character next to Darth Vader. And yes, his death in Jedi was fucking weak. But that being said, they should have left that motherfucker dead because the bullshit show they created to resurrect him is a steaming pile of pure horseshit. They totally emasculate the baddest bounty hunter in the galaxy into some Gandhi-like character. Sadly... Friend of the podcast, Robert Rodriguez, produced and directed many of the episodes of this. And as my English counterpart likes to say, it's a dog turd tonic with two turds and no olives. Wow. Two a turds. Double. <laughs> yes, it's a double. No ice? <laughs> it's no not shaken or stirred. It just floats. Oh, fuck <laughs> me. It is a completely oh. unnecessary series with little to no plot whose only shining moment is when they take a hard turn left for two episodes to focus back on the Mandalorian again. Boba Fett's not even in those two episodes. And they're the best episodes because the Mandalorian's pretty fucking cool. Oh, they are the two best episodes in the fucking series, and that says a lot about a show that it's not about. There's not a single redeemable thing about this fucking waste of time. They even managed to waste the introduction of a cool-ass black-furred Wookiee bounty hunter named Kersantan, and this show fucking wastes even that opportunity. This show is more horseshit than when George Lucas made Greedo shoot first. I'll never forgive him for that. Lucas killing off Boba in Jedi was a blessing in disguise, fans. After seeing the Sandfield Banther turd, you're going to thank Lucas for letting him die in the Sarlacc pit. If you haven't seen the stink nugget, do yourself a favor and hold on to the memory of Boba Fett being slowly dissolved in the belly of the Sarlacc and stay the fuck away from it. Do not waste your time on the book of Boba Fett. And I'm hoping, as C-3PO say, I'm praying to the maker they don't make another one of these double turd tonics. Why? This is certified horseshit. See, fans, I, I can shit on things I also like, too. I'm a fan yeah. of Star Wars stuff, but I can yeah, also respect. call it shit when it's shit. And this respect. is fucking shit. Mr. Smith, your certified pure horseshit, stay the fuck away from recommendation for the last month of 2022. Okay, well, this is probably old news by now. But, man, Halloween ends. What a fucking shit show of a movie that was. David Gordon Green... I mean, okay, so the first one, you know, they brought the PS, PTSD stuff into it, and I thought, okay, there's, that's an angle, yep. you know? I had a few decent kills, some not bad suspense. It was an attempt at a John Carpenter-esque yep. Halloween it, it wasn't. Movie, it it wasn't horrible, but they no. blew it with not ending it the way they, they should have ended it in that moment, in the first film. Yeah. They only needed that's one. That's it, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Right, so the second one, they upped the body count. Yep. But that's all they really did. <laughs> yep. This new one, I mean, okay, you could argue in the original Halloween, the John Carpenter masterpiece, Michael Myers isn't in the film all that much, but his presence is felt throughout. There is a foreboding sense of doom throughout the whole movie, all because of that character. This movie, this Halloween ends, Michael Myers is in the movie for about 10 minutes. They instead concentrate on this younger guy. And I can only assume, because I couldn't really see any other reason why. It starts off okay with this kind of like um, prologue of what happens to this kid. 
But I think they're trying to make him into some kind of Stranger Things, Eddie Munson kind of character, you know, this kind of like <laughs> tortured kind of young guy. Mm-hmm. And it, inexplicably, he kind of hooks up with Laurie Strode's granddaughter after telling her he's just killed someone. And I'm just like, when you say the hook fuck up, do they bang? I don't think did, they fuck. Did we, no, did they we go back fuck, tonight? Oh. Unfortunately. But, but, you know. <laughs> But they, they kind of, there's a, there's a connection, you know. Of course there's some kind of, but I'm just like, <laughs> but you know, her mother has been killed by Michael Myers. Her grandmother has spent her entire life in fear of Michael Myers. But you're now going to hook up with this guy who literally just admitted he killed someone to you. To make any sense. It is a boring film. And like, yeah, like I say, Michael Myers just shows up at the end to have like a kitchen fight with fucking Laurie Strode. <laughs> Which, which is what there's most of the trailer. Which is in, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I don't give a fuck. I'll support, Michael Myers dies at the end of it, yeah? I don't give a shit. Well, I mean, it's, if, it's, if you didn't understand Halloween ends. Well, yeah, but what, I'm gonna, what I was going to say was, um, so, you know, there is a definite finish to it. Thank fuck, because he can't make any more, hopefully. And the only thing that really pisses me off, not to go on about this too much longer, this prick is now going to do a trilogy of the fucking Exorcist. So thanks very much for ruining two masterpieces. He's got no, he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't even understand well, horror movies. If you remember Fuck back when guy. Game of Thrones was popular and right before they killed it, you know, those guys had uh, this, uh, you know, they're going to write a trilogy for Star Wars, this whole thing. And then when they couldn't finish off and everyone was kind of like, what the fuck did you do to Game of Thrones? They lost that stuff. So maybe they'll lose theirs too because they, they didn't know how to handle a series properly. Yeah, hopefully. But, you know, if he's going to ruin two masterpieces here, you know, I guess he hasn't really ruined them. I've still got Halloween. I'll, <laughs> I'll still always love Halloween. Yeah. But the guy doesn't know what he's doing. So Halloween ends is my bullshit of the month. This is this is So there you have it. Your double dog turd tonic. Stay away from the Book of Boba Fett from 2021, also on Disney Plus, and Halloween Ends, which just came out back in October, which will probably be streaming in a big steaming pile of shit on Peacock or something by now. Yep. So stay the fuck away. I I imagine Halloween Ends has probably been forgotten already by now. (laughs) I hope so. The best part is what Steve is saying is it ends. So at least they stayed true to the title. It ends. Yeah, I'll give him that, but fuck (laughs) it. That's all he's getting from me. And now it's time for two middle-aged white men to take a piss in your eggnog-filled Christmas (laughs) punch bowl. Woo! I don't like this thing, but I like that thing. I like that thing. What the fuck? I like that thing. You know, there are people who exist that like that thing. We will not be silenced, you fucking son of a bitch! I like that thing! I like that thing. But I do like this thing. I don't like that thing. I don't fuck. That thing fucking sucks. I fucking hate that thing. Oh! Okay, folks. It's time to clutch your pearls and hold on to your asses because it's unpopular opinions time. And without us really knowing, this is going to be a Christmassy Dropping a Bruce tie-in episode. And for those of you who do not know what we're talking about, the original side project that myself and Mr. Smith were going to do was called Dropping a Bruce. And we were going to start that almost last spring. However, Mr. Willis decided that he was going to have some kind of disease that now if we went after him to make fun of all the B-movies he dropped, we would look like assholes. So we decided to be still assholes, just in a different form where we're not making fun of someone who is ill. 
That being said, it is December. Without Steve knowing, it is also my birthday month, and it's also an even episode, so I get to rant first. So I'm really hoping there are people on here who love Christmas movies and hate what I'm about to say. But guess what, motherfuckers? Die Hard is a fucking Christmas movie. Now, for those of you out there that disagree, and I'm sure there's a bunch of you, that's because you're one of the purest assholes who probably watch the 300 watered-down carbon copy Hallmark piles of candy cane-filled reindeer shit every year and think those soulless films are the true meaning of Christmas. So here's something that's going to be hard for you to wash down with your holiday elf jizz. I mean, eggnog. You don't get to classify what people believe to be a Christmas movie, Karen Kringle. By that statement alone, I've already dunked my jingle balls all up in your cup of good cheer. Because, you see, beloved films like It's a Wonderful Life, whose main character spends 90% of the film inflicting gut-wrenching trauma upon himself, and A Christmas Carol, which slides into a horror movie during the Ghost of Christmas Future section, deal with extremely dark themes before finally getting to the ending, which is where the Christmas joy is evoked. And if you think Home Alone, or, as I like to call it, Die Hard for Kids, is a Christmas movie and not Die Hard, then you're a fucking ass clown. Let's start with the fact that Die Hard takes place on Christmas Eve. John McClane has made this trip from New York City to L.A. to spend Christmas with his family. The whole reason he even got on the fucking plane in the first place was so that he could see his estranged wife and kids for Christmas. He didn't fly to L.A. to fuck up some terrorists. He flew there to spend Christmas with his family. There is no Die Hard without the setting being Christmas. Die Hard, at heart, is a film about a man trying to rekindle his marriage and be reunited with his family again for Christmas. This is the fucking shit the Hallmark Channel skeets skeets all over its fans every Christmas and all throughout the Christmas season. If you're one of those candy cane deep throaters who's hung up on the fact that there's violence in Die Hard, then you must also have issues with Elf, A Christmas Story, Home Alone, Scrooge, and A Nightmare Before Christmas because every one of those fucking Christmas classics have violence in them. How about the fucking soundtrack, Tinsel Tits? Because it's filled with Christmas songs. If I had a playlist of the soundtrack and didn't tell you that it was the Die Hard soundtrack, you'd think I was playing a Christmas fucking playlist. Hello, the fucking film opens with Run DMC's Christmas and Hollis and ends with Frank Sinatra's Let It Snow. Even John McClane himself whistles fucking jingle bells and the score purposely uses jingle bells as an instrument to add to the christmas vibe now did you also forget the fact that the whole story takes place at a fucking christmas party do you know where and when home alone takes place not on christmas eve and not at a fucking christmas party either the nakatomi office is decorated for christmas there is orchestral christmas music being played and some guests are even dressed christmasy sure a bunch of fucking greedy trashy european terrorists crash the party with machine guns but that doesn't change the setting or the day it takes place on Burglars tried to break into Kevin's house to steal their shit because they would be out of town for Christmas. Just like Die Hard doesn't take place if it's not Christmas, neither do the events of Home Alone. Sorry, Snowflakes. Did I also mention that John's wife's name is fucking Holly? And that is not a fucking coincidence, you mouth-breathing elf fuckers. This is intentional to play on the essence that this is a Christmas story. A violent and bloody one, but a Christmas story nonetheless. Her name couldn't be more Christmassy unless she was named fucking Santa Claus. She even evokes a bit of Miss Claus with her caring nature for her fellow co-worker hostages. Sorry, Debbie Denier, this motherfucker's a Christmas movie. After dispatching of a terrorist, John dresses one of them up to look like Santa, complete with the famous ho, 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 now I have a machine gun quote. He taunts the terrorists by using holiday lingo and imagery that would not have been possible or even played upon if this film wasn't set at Christmas. And you know what movies are set at Christmas, my little red-nosed reindeers? Christmas movies. Speaking of terrorists, Hans Gruber is in essence the fucking Grinch. Much in like how the Grinch stole Christmas, he is actually stealing the company's money one Christmas Eve. Just like the fucking Grinch stole all the who shit on Christmas Eve. 
Climax of the film centers around the use of Christmas tape and a gift for Christ's sake. John uses Christmas tape, which would not have been available if this was set during fucking Easter, to secure the pistol to his back so he could surprise Hans and shoot his bitch ass out the window, which he stops himself from falling by grabbing onto Holly's watch, which was a gift from some asshole she worked with that when John removes, sends the German fuck falling to his death in glorious hallelujah fashion. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. Die Hard writer Stephen E. D'Souza came up with a comparison between his movie, Die Hard, and the Christmas classic, White Christmas. First off, each film takes place over the Christmas holiday. However, Die Hard does over the entirety of the film, while White Christmas only takes place on it during the first and final scenes of the film. The setting is a Christmas party. Die Hard's is once again over the entirety of the film, while White Christmas has its party during the final scene. The number of Christmas songs in each of the films? Die Hard has four. Let It Snow, Winter Wonderland, Christmas and Hollis, and Jingle Bells, while White Christmas has only two, White Christmas and Snow. In each movie, the party venue is threatened. In Die Hard, it's by terrorists, and in White Christmas, it's by foreclosure. Each film has a broadcaster with a hidden agenda. Dick Thornburg in Die Hard and Johnny Grant in White Christmas. Each film also has a German ringleader, Hans Gruber in Die Hard, and Hitler in White Christmas. Ho, 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 that's a cheery film. Each film has a body count. Yes, they do. 23 die in Die Hard, while 26,128 die at the Battle of the Bulge, which is the opening scene of White Christmas. Finally, there's a Christ-like sacrifice made in each film. John runs barefoot across broken glass in Die Hard, while Danny Kaye upgrades Vera Ellen's train ticket, who he wants to bang in White Christmas. What a fucking guy. So, there you have it, my sugar plum fairy fuckers. Die Hard is, in fact, a Christmas movie. Because, as I've illustrated, if such beloved classics as Home Alone and White Christmas are considered Christmas movie, then Die Hard more than qualifies as one itself. Not just because it more than checks all the boxes of what elements are necessary to be considered a Christmas movie, but because just like the season itself, Christmas is defined by the individual and not some Hallmark Helen who still roasts chestnuts on an open fire while some guy named Jack frosts her nose with his holiday glaze. For those of you who I finally let out of the dark and enlightened, I say, welcome to the party, pal. And for those of you still clutching your best Christmas pearls, believing Santa is real, I'm just a fly on the ointment, the monkey in the wrench, the pain in the ass, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie. yippee ki motherfuckers. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't think we can argue with that, can we? If you want to, I mean, you know the email address, Magnolia fan. On one hand, I guess that the argument Die Hard isn't about Christmas, but then... A, neither a lot of Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. Neither is Home Alone. You know, they're just set at Christmas. Yeah. Yes. No, exactly. Yeah, no, I agree. But so Home Alone is considered um, a Christmas classic. Not only is Die Hard the best Christmas movie. Yep, mm-hmm. I would agree. Also, probably the best action movie yes. ever made as well. I mean, that, we're talking that might, top that might come up later. In both, <laughs> maybe, maybe. In both genres, you know. Yes. So, yeah, you're going to get no arguments. Not only do I love Bruce Willis, I love Die Hard so much. You know, I, I think this is a recent, this whole Die Hard being a Christmas movie is quite a recent thing. Because also, of course, I always think I always say that Gremlins is yes. a Christmas movie too. Set of Christmas, is it not? Is Mogwai not an early Christmas present? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you've got the Christmas story that Phoebe Cates tells about, uh, which is really dark as fuck mm-hmm. about the chimney, her dad down getting stuck down the chimney. 
dressed as Santa. So, well, what, well, what I was going to say was, so you could say, well, you know, if you take the Christmas party away from it, it's not a Christmas movie. You could remove element from any film and it turned and say it turns. Yeah, into you do the same else. with the Home that's Alone. Not, that's not as you as you as you proved. They could have yeah, left him home, home Alone on a summer vacation. Yeah, just same thing could have happened. That's not the case. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but but that argument doesn't hold up simply because you could literally say that about any. Anything yes, you can change the movie. setting almost every movie. Yeah. Yeah, I take my hat off to you, and I will just say I <laughs> agree a hundred percent. Also, on top of all that, just Die Hard is just such a fucking great movie. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it was, was it eighty nine that came out or eighty eight. 1988. Yeah, I remember seeing it, and well, you know, I'll get into that a bit later. But yeah, absolutely, you get you've got my seal of approval on that. Die Hard is definitely a Christmas movie. Keep it the best motherfucker. Action movie ever made, potentially. Well, Mr. Smith, it is your turn to keep this dropping a Bruce tie-in episode a rolling. Okay, here we go. Right, so I think as it's Christmas, and as you're talking about Die Hard, you know. That's the predominant movie of this episode, definitely. But what I like to do, I like to give films reappraisals. When I talked about, um, <laughs> when I spoke about the Lone Ranger, when I spoke about the Lone Ranger, even to some extent, War of the Worlds, but definitely um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. All I'm trying to do is give, I mean, you know, give films another chance out of the context of their time. You may still not like them, but I, I often think things, you know, I always watch films more than once is what I'm saying, because you never really know. And I want to reappraise a forgotten Bruce Willis movie and a, a notorious flop as well. This was a massive flop at the time. I'm talking about 1991's Hudson Hawk, directed by Michael Lehman, who, who directed um, Heathers, and co-written also by Steve D'Souza, who did uh, Die Hard, and Predator, he did, yes. I think, as well. So Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis and Steve D'Souza, they wrote this movie. Now, I, I often bring up budget and box office with films, mainly because, I mean, as you pointed out, you know, just because a film makes a lot of money doesn't mean a good movie. Yeah, there's a couple of car movies like that. Well, yeah, 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 but there's also a lot of fucking Marvel movies that make a lot Fair. of money too. But anyway, that's not the issue. What I'm really saying is, what I like to, I just like to see a film connect to an audience. Now, the budget for Hudson Hawk was $65 million in 1991. Jesus, that's, that's a lot, a lot of, money. of money. That only made $17 million at the US box office. So that's fair to say this movie did not fuck with audiences. It went on to gross $97 million, but that's globally. So this is a flop of mass proportions. But Jeez. I digress. That's just an interesting little factoid, I think. That's just interesting to just, you know, just to see, did it connect, you know, what were they thinking? All these <laughs> things come up when you're talking about budget and box office, I think. You know, now Bruce Willis at this time thought he was the shit. It just made Die Hard. He's fucking floating on air. He's the man. The studio say to him, you know what? You want to make your own movie? How much money do you want? We'll give you whatever you want. <laughs> he comes up with Hudson Hawk. Co-starring Danny Aiello. Is it Aiello? Yep, Danny Aiello. Aiello yeah. I don't fucking know. Oh, it's fucking Danny Aiello over you, son of a bitch. Hey, hey, Danny, hey, you piece fucking of shit, um, you fuck. Hey, yeah, yeah. Your mud is an animal. Um, <laughs> so, so you've got Danny Aiello, you've got Andy McDowell, you've got James Coburn, Richard E. Grant, David Caruso, Sandra Bernhard, and Frank Stallone. All the <laughs> oh, now, I, oh I, do you know what? I, I really tried to like write down the plot for this. 
and it's fucking virtually impossible. But so, <laughs> but I'll, I'll I'll do my best, okay? But that's going to trail off, and we're just going to go off on to something else. But pre-credits, we're informed <laughs> that the Duke of Milan commissioned Leonardo DiCaprio. No, sorry, he should have done that. Wow, that's awesome. DiCaprio, isn't it? He should have done that, but no. He commissions Leonardo da Vinci to build a statue of a massive bronze horse. However, da Vinci inadvertently finds that through trying to forge bronze, he can create gold, okay? Now, he hides the components of this new machine in various possessions to keep them safe. Now, that's the pre-credit sequence. We now cut to the present where Bruce Willis as Eddie Hudson Hawk Hawkins, a famous burglar, is getting released from jail. Okay. Perfect. He doesn't even he doesn't even get out of the gates before his parole officer. <laughs> you know, his, his parole officer is secretly working for the mob, and he tries to make Eddie break into a museum to steal the components for the gold making machine. Now, from here on, this is the maddest movie. Of Bruce Willis's career, you know, so everyone wants in on basically what the film is about is that everyone wants in on this gold making machine, obviously. <laughs> so you've got the mob, you've got corrupt CIA madman James Coburn, and James Coburn's henchmen are all named after famous chocolate bars, okay, <laughs> for no good fucking reason. You've got lunatic mobsters led by Frank Stallone. I think they're, I think they're the the Romero family or something. Oh, oh then you've got like a, a spectre-like organization to dominate the world by monopolizing the sale of gold and that's richard e grant and his wife sandra bernhard they're called the mayflowers and they're like these sexual pervert sadistic (laughs) maniacs and it just and it just sort of goes from there now there's moments in it where bruce willis and danny aiello when they do a job they don't synchronize their watches (laughs) instead they they sing they sing show tunes that are the exact length that they think the job will take. So when they do their big museum set piece, uh, set piece where they steal a, a, a bronze horse, they sing uh, Swinging on a Speed. So the whole sequence is set out to them singing a show tune while robbing a museum, okay? And basically, Bruce Willis then gets kidnapped and taken to the... Because they want him to rob the fucking Vatican, right? So, <laughs> so you, you just end up with all these various factions. You get these various factions of mobsters, corrupt CIA men, and the spectre-like organization all on, all ganging together to get their hands on a gold-making machine. And Eddie and, and Eddie, Eddie Hawkins, Bruce Willis, is the cat burglar of choice to get said items. Now, it, it's made in the 90s, but... I think they're trying to cash in on, like, Romance in the Stone. That kind of, you know, they're trying to give, like, this romantic... But Andy McDowell and fucking Bruce Willis, they've got no chemistry at all, admittedly, right? But there's, like, these crazy sequences, like, when Bruce Willis robs the museum. He jumps off a building when the security guards are about to catch him, crashes through a canopy, and somehow lands in the apartment, Frank Stallone's mobster who he's meant to be dropping the bronze horse off to anyway. And um, Richard E. Grant has got this henchman who's a British butler, who in some weird fucking John Wick-style situation has got two massive swords up each sleeve. And there's a bit in it where Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis 
pins him up against the wall and decapitates the butler. And as his head topples on the floor, Bruce Willis just out of nowhere says, well, I guess you won't be attending that hat convention in July. <laughs> like, whoever thought this... Bruce Willis did. The whole This whole movie was written so Bruce Willis could say that could line. Could say that line. Yeah, this is the funny thing, yeah, because you're watching it and you're thinking, this is star power. You know, he was never afforded that star power again, you know? No wonder he made Die Hard 2 and fucking beyond. Because <laughs> yeah. this movie set him back further than when he was just in Moonlighting. And speaking of Moonlighting, I kind of get the feeling, because of the kind of wackiness of the slapsticky humor in this i'm beginning to wonder if, if bruce willis had more of a hand in them set pieces in moonlight and them, them because it is very it's got that kind of you know i moonlight and had those crazy like action set pieces every episode with him and maddie hayes it was just this kind of like where the fuck is coming from <laughs> you need to see this movie because it, I, I think of it now as a cult movie. You know, this is a cult. It's not a complete failure, but it is one of those films where you think star power got this made, you know, and I think it took Bruce Willis down a peg or two. I can't recommend it enough, though. You all need to <laughs> revisit it. You can probably rent it off Amazon Prime for free, I would imagine. It's worth it for the museum robbery where Danny Aiello and Bruce Willis sing Swinging on the Star by Bing Crosby. <laughs> so if for no other reason you you watch this movie, watch <laughs> it for that. But you've also got like a great cast. They're all probably thinking, I'm in the new Bruce Willis movie. This is going to be the making of me. I mean, not jo- not James Coburn, obviously. <laughs> Bruce and Richard E. Grant are probably thinking. They're probably thinking I've hit the big time here. Didn't quite go that way. But as I've said before, you know, with the Lone Ranger and King of the Crystal Skull. I'm just saying, give it a chance, man. It's Christmas, yeah? Give peace a chance. That's all he's saying. All he's give saying. Give peace a chance. <laughs> give Bruce a chance, man. We're dropping a Bruce Bruce on you. needs us, you know? So this is your Brucey bonus, yeah? Yeah. This, you've got Die Hard, the classic, the one, the one we know and love. But, you know, creeping in there just as a little extra. You know, just as a little icing on the cake, so to speak. Hudson Hawk. Hudson Go for Hawk. it. Go for it. Give it a chance. I have nothing to say either way because I can't remember the last time I saw the film. Like, so I'd remember, I remember the hat, like the pork pie hat he wears. I like to do some kind of rope swinging thing, but I don't remember much of the movie since him and Danielle. So I don't have a take either way, but I do like the fact that I think this movie was written just so he could say that line because of all the craziness of this plot. I also think maybe Bruce Willis was doing cocaine during this time because just the plot alone is so all over the place. The fact that he says, like, it's funny, like, he just but I guess you won't be going to that hat convention. Like he had to add in July. Like he had like a whole <laughs> thing. Yeah, that hat sure, like Matt, what month it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I need to get but, but Bruce Willis in this movie, right? But the funny thing is, in this movie, Bruce Willis has got this look on his face. Like he is God. I got this made. I co-wrote it. I'm in Oh yeah, it. He, he's probably thinking this is this everybody, is cinema gold. Oh, everybody loves me. I can star in anything, and people. Yeah, will come he's like, I'm gonna wet my ass with hundred dollar bills. But he got his comeuppance pretty quickly, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, because you it. know, like you say, Die Hard was 1988-89. Well, you know, and in, this I is think only in fairness, 91, so, when you're allowing you know, him to do two Die Hards, he used up his goodwill. 
And he's also putting out a record. Like, they allowed him to remember that song from the 80s. Respect yourself. That's stupid fucking. He had that video and a song he put out. So I think he... I think he got a little too ahead of himself. Right, all we, this, know, so. we know someone who wrote a record label, mate. Yeah. Maybe he could re release The Return of Bruno. Yeah, you know what? I think Mr. Sean Wheeler, we know he's listening. He and Magnolia need right to get together there. and get themselves a record label. <laughs> the Cheeky Bastards Top 100 Films of All Time. Well, my first induction for this month into our Cheeky Bastard Podcast Top 100 Films of All Time, surprise, surprise, is 1988's Die Hard. John McClane, an NYPD officer, tries to save his wife and several others taken hostage by German terrorists during a Christmas party at the Nakatomi Plaza in L.A. The ultimate Christmas action movie from director John McTiernan and starring Bruce Willis. Alan Rickman, Bonnie Bedelia, and Reginald Vell Johnson. This is one of the greatest action movies of all time and launched the film career of Mr. Bruce Willis. This is one of those movies that has such rewatchability that it gets better with every fucking viewing. There are a few movies that mark an era or have such an effect on its genre that other movie companies try to capture the same lightning in a bottle. Die Hard is one of those films. It may go down as not only one of the greatest action movies ever, but quite possibly as the greatest action movie ever. Ever. And that is why it now resides in our top 100 films of all time. Mr. Smith, your first induction. My first induction into this episode's uh, top 100. In 2006, directed by Mad Mel Gibson. <laughs> We're talking Apocalypto, ladies and gentlemen. I personally think it's a masterpiece. I really do. And really, to have the balls to make an action movie completely in Mayan dialect as well. At that point, you know, I mean, when you think of Inglorious Bastards, yeah, Tarantino fooled everyone into watching a foreign film without them realizing it. But Mel Gibson goes all out with this, you know. This is an epic chase movie, ultimately. But there's so many multiple things going on because it's got some humor to it, you know, with the gang of guys at the beginning making the other guy eat the bull's testicle or whatever it is and then just joking <laughs> that he didn't really need to do it. You know, and then you get, and then you get to spend some time in their little um, community and then you get this. I don't know what you'd call them, band of kind of marauders who attack that village. And that's pretty damn brutal as well. You know, it's almost them Rambo, John Rambo levels of brutal, what happens to the villages in Burma, you know, full on assault. And then they basically take everyone to where they live. It just escalates and gets, you know, it's a it's a survival movie. Then all this time, the main characters, what and child, are, Sort of basically, they've thought that he's put him down a hole, hasn't he? And it starts to rain. He's got to escape the clutches of these marauders to get back before his wife and unborn child die and drown. Before I just cut off from this, you know, I think Mel Gibson, 1979, he's in Mad Max, you know, and then there he is in 2006. He basically goes full Colonel Kurtz, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. And, and makes just this crazy action movie. Only he could have done it, I think, and he did it, you know. So say what you will about the man, but he made a masterpiece there. So that's my first induction. Well, my second also comes from 2006. It is Children of Men. Wow. In a chaotic dystopian world in which women have somehow become infertile, a former activist agrees to help transport a miraculously pregnant woman to Sanctuary at Sea. Written and directed by Alfonso Cuaron and starring Clive Owen, Julianne Moore, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and Michael Caine. This is one that's a terrible impression of him. I apologize. This is one of my top five films of all 
time. It is also one of the greatest films made in the 22nd century, in my opinion. It is shot in a frenetic single-camera, single-take, almost-fly-on-the-wall documentary style that leaves you breathless and anxious as fuck. Its violence is sudden, brutal, and super realistic. This is a truly remarkable film, and one that is a true achievement in filmmaking. This is, hands down, in my opinion, Clive Owen's finest performance of his career, and a film that will imprint itself on you and stay with you long after you've watched it. That is why it now resides in our top 100 films of all time. I truly was absolutely blown away when I saw this film, what, now 16 years ago? Because it came out, I think, December of 2006. Absolutely love this fucking movie. It is unfucking believable it's, it's hard to describe without people watching it. It really is hard to describe the depth with which it goes. It's a true look at humanity, but the filmmaking. Oh, I love the film. It's, oh. just, it's a really, you know, it's a singular vision of... Oh, it's a amazing. dystopian future. Um, yes. Some of the action set pieces are all done in one continuous shot oh. as well, which are pretty breathtaking and Unreal. kind of hard to believe, actually. Yes. One in particular later on in the film. Um, and like you say, Michael Caine in it. Um, yeah, he's, oh, he's fantastic yeah. no, in it too. Oh, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. No, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely fantastic movie. It's um, not exactly yeah, a Christmas movie, say, folks, yeah. but I'm telling it's you, it will it will leave its kind imprint of is, on though, you. In a way. Well, yeah, yeah, we, you're absolutely right. There does there is a bit of a, a Christ a feel to it for sure. Yeah, a little bit of symmetry there. Yeah, I have no problem with that being in the top hundred. That it is a unique movie, definitely a classic. And now our final induction for the December episode of 2022. So 1968. Directed by Mr. Peter Yates for Steve McQueen starring Bullet, which to me, one of the best sort of police procedurals really of all time. And and as you brought up earlier, the Quentin Tarantino cinema speculation book. Yes, it's the first the movie he talks about. Yeah, but I mean he he's he's comparing Bullet to Dirty Harry, which is fair enough because they're both loosely based on the same cop who was the one of the characters from Zodiac, which was from our other um top hundred selection. But I've always loved this movie. I like it. I've always liked it more than Dirty Harry because it's just more of a deadly serious film. There's no quips or anything. Steve McQueen's playing it deadly straight. You know, and we talk about the car chases in films because people often bring up car chase in The French Connection. But in The French Connection, he's chasing a train. You know, this is a car on car chase with their shooting fucking shotguns at him as well. Steve McQueen given a very subtle performance, which he was known for, to be fair. And there's a particular scene in the film where, which really says it all about his character, which I want to point out, was when he's, one of his men has been shot and he's in the hospital with him. And he literally, he basically puts the whole case and everything on hold till he knows his man is going to live. And I think that, that says a lot about his character in the film. It's not a complicated, I don't think it's that complicated a film, really. Tarantino alludes to it in the book as well. The, the credit sequence at the beginning is so stylish for his time. And I, I'm always reminded of that when I watch it. That's something I almost forget sometimes when I put the movie. I've watched it so many times. That is one of my favourite actors in one of my favourite genres. It's a perfect example of that genre as well, where I think it, it hits all the right beats. That's my recommendation for the month, or my recommendations for the month. So there you have them for this month in December 2022. The four movies now in the top 100 films of all time are from 1988, Die Hard. From 2006, Apocalypto. From 2006, Children Men. And from 1968, Bullet. So all of you out there have a happy holidays. Except you, Michael Bay. You fucking talentless hack. You, sir, are a horseshit artist.
And that's a wrap on this month's show. Please feel free to join in on the debate by following the show on the show's socials, which can be found in the show's notes. If any of you found any of the opinions expressed in this episode to be offensive, we kindly ask that you go fuck yourself. However, if by some miracle you did enjoy the show, like a well-adjusted mature fucking adult, then please feel free to join us again next month to hear Scott or Steve take a shit on something you hold dear. So until next time, remember, opinions are like assholes. They're full of shit and stink. Unless, of course, they're yours. Hey, Alfred. You won't be attending that hat convention in July. This has been a man with an exceptional beard production.